I'm an alcoholic. I like this thing. I want to dance or something, but I'm not going to do that. Um, uh, I want to thank Jesse for asking. I don't know. Where's Jesse? Jesse's not here. Well, I want to thank him for uh, asking me to come and do this. And um, I want to welcome all the newcomers to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. My sobriety date is 8 17 2000. Um, I got sober when I was 26 years old, and I've been sober for a little bit over 19 years now. Um, my arrival into Alcoholics Anonymous, it took me a really long time. Um, I got sober the first time when I was 16 years old. My parents put me in a rehab because um, I was pretty strung out on some outside issues. And um, they put me in a rehab, and in that rehab, I learned, because there's a bunch of conniving little shitty kids, <laughs> including myself, and we all taught each other the things that we got away with. So I learned how to like get a little more conniving, and um, in, that, uh, in that program, um, I was forced to look at my family dynamics. And when you're 16 years old and you're a conniving little shit, um, looking at your family dynamics was quite interesting. So um, when I was about 13 or 14 years old, I knew that I was gay, okay? And um, I grew up in a very um, conservative family. And it was all about image management, right? And so, um, and I always knew one day I would be gay. Like, it would be okay, and I could come out, and I could tell people that. And so, um, when I went to that first rehab, um, I had to do this knee-to-knee thing with my dad. And I really struggled a lot, you know, because, like, all of my friends, you know, they're, like, hooking up with guys, and they're talking about sex, and they're doing all this stuff, and I'm just drinking, 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 because I want to, like, I want to be like them. But I couldn't, in my mind, figure out why I didn't have the same feelings as them. And so um, the only way that I could do the same things that my girlfriends were doing um, was just to get really drunk and really loaded. And then everything that was important to me didn't matter anymore. Um, I can sleep with anybody drunk or on drugs. It doesn't matter. Because I've lost um, every piece of who I am. And so, um, for years, I really tried that, that game. You know, I tried that game, and um, it was really rough. Um, so anyway, so um, I started drinking. You know what? I don't even know how old I was. I, I recall vomiting at, like, 10. I don't remember the experience of, like, taking a drink and thinking, oh, my God, I feel like I'm at home. Um, because the first time, the first recollection that I have of drinking, I just remember vomiting. And then the second time, I remember vomiting. And then the third time, I remember not remembering everything that happened. So um, I always drank from the very beginning to blackout. Um, so my dad, and one thing that I want to say really quick, because sometimes I forget to mention this, 
my dad and I have a really great relationship today. Um, he's not the person that he was when I was younger. Um, and I'm very lucky to have him as my father. But um, I grew up, my, my dad was an alcoholic, and he was very angry, and my mom was an a overeater, and she did whatever my dad told her to do. And so um, my dad would come home, and he would just be enraged when we were kids. He was a very, very violent drunk, and he would beat my mom to a pulp. And my sister and I would do whatever we could to protect our mom. And um, I remember probably around 14, 15 years old, um, that if I drank, because I always blacked out, I wouldn't have any recollection of my dad coming home, beating up my mom, and my, me and my sister getting our asses kicked. So if my dad was out, I would go behind the bar and I would just slug down whatever I could. I would either be vomiting in my bedroom or in a blackout so I wouldn't remember what happened. But another thing happened was um, my dad would come home, I would be throwing up or I would be a mess and then both of my parents would try to help me and then my mom wouldn't get beat up because they were focused on me. So that became like a pattern for me. Um, to this day, I will do anything for my mother, except I will not drink or use drugs. And my life, my life isn't set up that way anymore, but um, I did that for a really long time. So flash forward, I'm 16 years old, and um, I'm in this rehab center, and um, I wanted to go to that place, a uh, counselor at my school. My sister got really scared um, and thought that I was going to die, so she went and told the counselors at school that I was um, doing powdered alcohols and all kinds of fun shit. And um, the school suggested to my parents that I go into this rehab program, and um, they want you to really dive into, like, why are you doing these things? Because I like it. Because um, it's fun. I don't like to think about my life. At 16 years old, I, I was a chameleon. I could not be myself. I was a liar. I was a cheat. I was a thief. I would just, like, diarrhea of the mouth. Everything that came out was bullshit. And so... Um, because I wanted you to like me, and I had nothing to bring to the table. Zero. Um, so they're asking me questions like, tell us about yourself, and what if they said, are, uh, are you gay? And I said, no, I'm not gay, and the, my counselor's like, you're gay. And I'm like, okay, I'm gay. <laughs> um, so, and it's the truth, I was, and so she's like, you, you know, they want you to, like, tell your parents things, right? They want to, like, rebuild your life in 30 days. Um, so they made me do this, like, knee-to-knee -knee thing with my dad, because me and my dad, now, I hated my dad more than any person that had ever walked the face of the earth into that moment, okay? Um... And I winded up being exactly like him. Um, he was a bully, and he pushed people around to get whatever he wanted. And um, I was, and I never thought that I would be like that. Like, I thought that I was, 
Like inside I knew I was a good person, but as soon as the drugs and alcohol took over, like I will freaking do anything. And and active alcoholism and active drug addiction, I will fucking undercut your grandmother. Like I will do whatever it takes to get what I want. And so, um, so I've got to do this. And it's exactly how my dad was in business, in everything. And so I'm doing this knee to knee with my dad. And the object is, is like he's on that side of the room and I'm on that side of the room and we got to come, we got to come knee to knee. And we're getting a little closer and I don't know, we're maybe like 10 feet away from each other. And my counselor says, you need to tell your father what your problem is. And um, I said, um, Dad, I'm, I'm gay. And he looks at my mom and he says, pack her shit up right now. This place is turning our daughter into a homosexual. She's got to get out. And so um, on the drive home, they made me leave. Um, on the drive home, I listened to both of my parents talk about what a poor example they were as uh, husband and wife. And that's why I was having the feelings that I was having. So they tried not to fight in front of us, but that only lasted for a little while. But one of the things that my parents told me, really my dad, and my mom just did whatever the hell he said. My dad said, "Um, if I ever find out that you act out on your feelings, you'll be disowned from this family. Um, It's immoral, it's disgusting, and I will not have a daughter like that. And so um, I wanted to, that, that scared me so much. Um, so I played it off and I got boyfriends and um, I did the stuff that you guys like to do. And, but, <laughs> and I don't have anything against dudes. I think y'all are attractive. I just cannot be intimate with you. It just doesn't work for me. Um, But if I drink and I use drugs, um, I could be the person that my dad wanted me to be. So um, flash forward quite a few years, um, I did a lot, a lot of damage, a lot of damage um, behind my outside issues. And um, I remember I was, um, I've lived in California my whole entire life, and I moved to Riverside, and um, I had this idea that I would try a different outside issue that I had never tried before. And I spent 24 hours in bougainvillea bushes, paranoid as hell. And um, the bougainvillea bush cut my arms up and I burnt my lips on the thing. And um, some people came and drugged me out of the bushes. And um, it was the first time that I felt, because they looked at me like I was crazy. And um, I know why they did that now. But um, it was the first time I felt incomprehensible demoralization. Um, And I could just, like, I can almost picture it. Like, there's six people, like, coercing me to come out of the bushes. And I'm trying to explain to them that the people are watching me. And they're like, shut the fuck up. Like, just come out of the bushes, Stacy. And um, 
I could just, I saw that over and over and over again for years. And then, um, so, let's see. At about 22, I went into another program, and um, I met the first woman that I fell in love with. And um, I was, it was going to work out, right? I was going to tell my family and everything was going to be good. And um, her and I were together for a really long time. And um, I decided that I would go to my parents and I would tell my parents that this was the situation. And my mom didn't really seem to care. And um, when I went to tell my dad, my dad said, um, the family's going to disown you and you're no longer welcome around here. And so um, I had this guy friend, his name was Jason, that always wanted to be with me and my, um, my parents loved him. And I was so afraid of not being able to be part of my family that I thought that I would just suck it up and got rid of the girl and um, made the decision that I was going to be with him and um, all that gay business was out the door. And so um, that's what I did, is uh, I was with him, and what he did was he controlled my drinking and my outside issue use. He was very responsible. He was a caretaker. He was the greatest person I have ever met in my whole entire life. Um, he, um, he made everything okay for me. He was like my greatest protector all the time. I was the worst girlfriend ever. Um, he would wake up in the morning and I would be gone. Or we would go out. He was a big drinker, but he was not okay with drugs at all. Um, but we would go out at night and my friends would meet us at the bar. So then I would go into the bathroom and do the other stuff. And then... He would say, it's time to go home, and we would go home, and he would pass out, and then he would wake up, and I wouldn't be there. And um, he just, like, kept coming back, no matter what. Like, he never let me down. But sometimes he would want to do that stuff in the morning that you guys like to do. And so um, I would be like, oh, God. So then I, what I had to do is I had to get in the habit of putting a bottle of whiskey underneath the bathroom counter so that I could get up in the morning, I could drink, and then I could be his girlfriend. And um, I did that for a really long time. Um, and he, as a person, deserved way better. Um, so finally, after a few years of doing that, I made the decision that um, I wasn't going to do that anymore. And I wanted to get sober. I had been to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I wanted to get sober, but I knew that I couldn't get sober and live the life that I was living. So um, I went and I talked to my mom, and my mom said that she would support me 100%. And um, I knew that he would support me 100%. Like, he used to always ask me, what's wrong with you? Like, what is going on? And inside, I just wanted to, like, scream it. Um... But I was so afraid, and so um, I came up with a plan. And my plan was is that I went and I talked to my mom on a Tuesday, and then on Saturday I was going to tell him, and then I was going to move to my mom's house. And um, he was getting sick, really sick all the time, and um, 
they would say he had his cold triggered his asthma or his asthma triggered a cold and on Thursday night I woke up and I could um, hear him choking and I'm trying to wake him up and uh, he's not waking up and um, so I called 911 and they came and pick him up and took him to the hospital and um, two days later um, we found out that he had this really aggressive cancer. He was the 104th person to ever have it at the time. And they said he would live um, four to six years. And I thought, well, I'm doing this for four to six more years. And um, that lasted six months. Um, and uh, he died. And so um, I two things happened well that were he died which was awful the whole experience of it was awful the other thing that happened was that I lost my greatest protector um, and I just went crazy um, I was drinking and using around the clock and um, I before that I never got up and got the shakes and um, I had moved to my mom's house after he died. And um, I remember the first time I woke up in the morning and um, my hands were shaking. And I went to go grab my toothbrush and I'm like, what the hell is going on? And I couldn't, like, it wasn't clicking to me. But I had to go to work and I was really uncomfortable. And I thought, well, if I just have a drink, because I wasn't really a morning drinker yet, unless, you know, I had to do that stuff. Um, <laughs> So, um, but I felt like tons of anxiety. So I took a drink and then I stopped shaking. And then it didn't like compute to me. And then um, I was at work that day and later on during the day my, everything started shaking again. And um, I thought, well that's, I'm having anxiety. Maybe at lunch I'll go have a few drinks. And at lunch I went and had a few drinks and the shaking stopped. And then that became a pattern, a constant pattern. And um, it was, God, it was so ugly. Um, I remember uh, my mom, she would get so mad at me. I would get off work and I would get um, not, I guess it's a, not a fifth. That was too much. It was like this pint thing of Jack Daniels. And, um, and then I would bring home an 18 pack of beer. And my mom would be like, why does anybody need an 18-pack of beer? And I would say to her, I just need my mind to be quiet. Like, that's all I want. So I need this pint, and I need this 18-pack of beer, and I need you to leave me the fuck alone. Because the only time, you know, they talk about step two, right? They say being restored to sanity. The only time that I felt sanity was in blackout. For most of my most of my childhood life, up until I was 26 years old. So when I got sober and I asked my first sponsor, "What does that mean, being restored to sanity?" and she said, "Having soundness of mind." That was the most exciting thing to me in Alcoholics Anonymous is that my mind could just stop for a second. And there's times today, like I could have a full day of no crazy. And that is a friggin' miracle. But um, I just forgot what I was saying. Oh, okay. 
What was that? Soundness of, Soundness of mind. So, um, so I would tell my mom gets so mad at me every day. Same thing. Pint an 18 pack, and I just wanted to black out, and I just didn't want to feel my life anymore because I didn't know how to be who I was. Now the day that he died, um, I tried to stay in his room with him until he died. I walked out of his room when his blood pressure was 30, 30 over 10. And my mom sat in there and held his hand and like 20 of his family members. Um, and then my mom came out and got me and said that he was gone. And I went in there and what happened was, was I sat with him for about an hour and a half and um, I told him the truth about who I was. And I made a promise that I would never live my life like that ever again and not care about what anybody thought about me. Now, I had known him for so many years, I would have gone through the experience with him, but not in the capacity that I went through it. Um, but I'm grateful. I did things when he was sick that I never thought that was humanly possible. He was a big, tall guy. He was six foot three, and he weighed... 240 pounds, and when he died six months later, he was um, 155 pounds. I was changing his diaper. I was giving him shots. I was doing all these things that I never knew was possible. Um, and so, um, but I made a promise to him and to myself that day that I would never live that type of life ever, ever again, and I didn't. Um, it took me, he died... October 1st, and I got sober um, August 17th the following year. And um, I went to, um, I got quite a few DUIs over the years, and one of my mom's friends was in AA. What time is it? Okay. Okay. So um, one of my mom's friends was in AA, and I was signing my own court card. And, um, yeah, that's, and so my mom was like paranoid. She's like, you're going to go to jail. And um, I didn't really care. Like, so what if I go to jail? Um, and um, so my mom's friend Mary came and picked me up, and she took me to this meeting, and um, it was the Gucci meeting. It was a speaker meeting, and the speaker was a guy by the name of Wayne Butler. And he was sharing about, I was horrified. I drank a six-pack and ate like 18 volumes before I went into the meeting. And this guy was sharing about how he lived in a dumpster, and it was some holiday, and his dad came and knocked on the top of his dumpster and was like, son, how are you? And he flipped open the thing, and he's like, Dad, I'm fine. <laughs> and everybody did what you guys just did. Everybody laughed, and I was so mad at you. I thought, this is horrible. Like, why would people laugh at this guy living in a dumpster? And um, the day um, before my last drink, I thought about all of those people. Like, what did they have that I didn't have? Um, they were all up there. They were all laughing and having a great time. And then the older ladies were trying to be soldiers for Alcoholics Anonymous and recruit me. And I'm like, just blasted. Um, but everybody seemed happy. And people were hugging. I hated when people touched me. Like, ugh. Um, 
Now I love to hug and come to Alcoholics Anonymous. This place is amazing. It's full circle. But um, I was at home and I was, um, I had gotten another DUI and um, I was drinking and doing some outside issues and I couldn't get drunk and I couldn't get high. And I did a lot of shit. And um, like, I, my head didn't get quiet, nothing like that. And in that moment, I wanted to die. And I thought, well, why don't I just end this? And then I thought about the pain that my ex that died, I thought about the pain that I watched his parents go through, and I never wanted to purposely do that to my parents. And so um, I called Alcoholics Anonymous, and they directed me to go to this, this Ashland home that I didn't know it was the Ashland home then. And uh, my first sponsor opened up the door. And um, I was afraid to ask her to be my sponsor, so I thought I would go out one more time. And um, I had a plan, and I don't know how it worked, but it worked. And I got really screwed up, and I showed up at my mom's house, and she's like, you're on drugs and drinking and driving again. And so I just picked up the phone, because I knew that I could ask her to be my sponsor hammered. Like, I can do anything hammered. It would appease my mom, and everybody would be happy. And so I called her and asked her to be my sponsor, and it was the greatest thing I ever did in my whole entire life. Um, she was going through a divorce, and she was crazy. And I was crazy, but I needed somebody that needed somebody to help them. I didn't realize that was like the whole premise of Alcoholics Anonymous, that 12 step, right? It's over here. And so um, what would happen is um, I didn't have a driver's license, I didn't have a pot to piss in, and I couldn't figure out what how to do during the day, and she would just tell me what to do all the time, and then she would pick me up at night, and she would take me to meetings, and they would call me um, Julie's hostage. And um, sometimes on the weekend, she would pick me up in the morning and take me to a morning meeting. And then at 11 o'clock, she would have me at 11 o'clock at night at the San Clemente Friendship Center. And I would be like, I just want to go home. She'd be like, no, we're just going to do one more meeting, Stacy. And so somebody said tonight about sticking with the winners. And so um, the way that I grew up, I grew up in a very privileged household. We had a lot of money, we had Hortensia, she made my bed, she did our food, she did everything, right? I had everything you ever wanted. I loved Hortensia, she was amazing. My very first commitment was at the old San Clemente Friendship Center and they volunteered me to pick up cigarette butts after people and I was like, damn. So my sponsor said to me, you don't ever uh, you don't ever say no to an AA commitment. And I'm like, but they want me to pick up people's cigarettes butts. And she said, you told me you were willing to go to any lengths to stay sober, Stacy. And I want to say, well, I fucking lied. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't. I took that commitment and I became the butt girl, okay? And so what happened was, is by doing that commitment, I met the winners of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was the people who stayed after the meeting to pick up chairs, clean coffee cups. Then the next thing I know, a couple weekends later, I have never cleaned a house before in my life. I'm scrubbing baseboards at the San Clemente Friendship Center. 
And then I just constantly, like that's how I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, yesterday I went to a Jimmy Buffett concert. And huge Buffett fan, amazing. And I've been to his concert a bunch of times. Um, alcohol is always an option for me. It's the desire to drink and use has never, ever, ever gone away for me. Um, what's changed for me is that I did the steps and then I can think the drink through. Mad, sad, or glad, I'm like, shit, let's have a drink. But it's just, I haven't done it in 19, over 19 years, so I just think it through. So I'm at the Jimmy Buffett concert, and I was a big whiskey drinker. And somebody said, can you hand me that bottle? And I was with some people that drank, and I grabbed the bottle to handle it to them, and it said, peanut butter whiskey. <laughs> and I had a psychic change. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, peanut butter whiskey. And I just had to look at my wife, and I'm like, I need to go for a walk right now. And so all day today, peanut butter whiskey. <laughs> like, how the hell did I miss out on peanut butter whiskey? And so... Um, it's alcoholism is alive and well in my head today. Um, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. One of my um, very, very favorite sayings in the book, it says, um, our very lives depend on the constant thought of others and how we can meet their needs. And for the first 26 years of my life is all I did was think about myself. I never thought about anybody. Um, and so today what I try to do is I try to think about you over thinking about me. And then what ends up happening is, is if I'm open to help other people, the help just comes into me. Um, some of the greatest gifts that I've gotten Alcoholics Anonymous is um, my grandmother did a lot of raising of my sister and I, and I know that this sounds weird, but um, I got to change my grandma's diaper in Alcoholics Anonymous. I got to be with her and help her through the dying process. Um, my sister has um, three kids that are her kids, and then I have two step-nieces. But the three kids that are her, hers, her two sons call me, at least each of them call me, like three times a day. And um, I'm the freaking raddest aunt in the world. And they tell me all the time. And it's like, it's like the bright spot in my life. And um, I'm married, and that's a little shaky sometimes. I haven't mastered the relationship thing. Um, but then my wife has a son who is like the light of my life. And he lives with us full time. And um, we listen to gangster rap together. <laughs> um, and... Uh, Oh my gosh, I'm so terrible. So I do, I have like this rule with him. I'm like, you can listen to whatever you want in my car. You can't put it on your phone. And don't tell your friend's parents that I let you listen to this, okay? And so sometimes when I take him to school, we'll listen to like NWA or Ice Cube. And I justify it by giving the history of rap. I'm teaching him. But like these are the great gifts in my life. And I have the freaking most kick-ass support group in Alcoholics Anonymous. My home group is the Tuesday night women's SOS meeting with babysitting. So um, if there's any women here that need 
a meeting like that. It's an amazing meeting. It's been my home group for 19 years. And there's probably 50 women in there that if I called them right now and said that I needed help, almost every single one would show up at my front door. And nobody wanted to show up at my front door. Ever, ever, ever. So um, I'm so eternally grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous in the steps. And if you're new, just like keep coming back no matter what. Like, I don't think everybody gets to get this deal. Like, you got to work your ass off for it. And that's just the one thing that I agreed to do when I got sober this time. It was to stay sober this time, and it's 19 years later. And I will fucking work for my seat every single day. Thanks. All right.